Welcome to Vector. Three, two, one, action. This is Peter Gregorio. Welcome to the Vector Interview Podcast. Vector is a project I started 10 years ago. We do various things. One of the projects that we're known for is Vector Artist Journal, which is an art zine that consists of a collection of essays by 25 artists who are based in a specific city. We started with New York, and then I teamed up with Norwegian artist Javier Barrios in 2013, and we went international. We've done the journal in Oslo, Berlin, Toronto, to name a few. So working on the journal, I've worked with over 200 artists and I've gotten to go in their studios and talk to them. And I realized that being in that kind of unique position where I get to talk to artists in depth. And then also I've been listening to a lot of long form interview podcasts with scientists, like physicists and neuroscientists. And and I love it. I love the genre. And I thought why aren't I doing this with artists? I mean, artists are some of the most fascinating people that I know, and I get to hang out with them and talk to them already. So I'm trying this out, and this is actually the first interview. So what this experiment is, is it's long conversations with artists in their studio. Um, I've actually already done 25. My plan is to do one week, and we'll see how it goes. You are listening to Vector. So the first discussion is with Norwegian artist Elina Mugas. We first met when we were doing a residency together in Brooklyn at the ISCP. You know, when you meet somebody and you just connect with them, and we just connected right away because she had lived in New York in the 80s and 90s and I grew up in New York so I had, we had a lot of, uh, we kind of bonded in that way. And then when I went into her studio, she showed me her fanzine. She also does an artist zine called Album with another Norwegian artist, Alyssa Storsen. She's been doing that, I think, around the same amount of time as I've been doing Vector. And I loved it. It's raw. It's like all over the place. It's kind of, I don't know. To me, it's like no wave. It's kind of post-punk. She describes it in her bio as a sophisticated meta-narrative on the human body, sexuality, and the social lives of the images, which is a pretty cool description. In 2013, they co-curated a show on art and feminism in Norway from 1969 to 1989 and it was the first major exhibition of its kind. This was the first major exhibition to investigate the connection between artistic practice and the women's movement in Norway. She's done a lot of projects. Um, I'm not going to go into all of them, but we talked for almost three hours, and um, she goes into a lot of it in our discussion. So why don't we get right into it? So let's go in there, and I'll just bring this with us. And, this is Vector. And then we'll come back. 
get like you just used an empty studio. I know. Why is it empty? Can I have the well, studio? Yeah, exactly. No, there is. A, it was just given to uh, to an artist, but then she has uh, still a lease in a different place okay. in a bigger space. So Jesus. she was, she's using that up. So and so she will move in in the summer. But she gets it for 15 years, and that's why she has decided to not oh be too... God. So she's moved her stuff into the storage, and then she got this one. How um, can I move to Oslo? Can I? Okay, I mean, yeah, <laughs> As an artist from New York? Of course you can. The problem for you is then to... The, Six to, months. No, yeah, the, your, how long you get the visa. And how do I work here? Like, no, you, don't, you know, to have a... You can you uh, yeah. I should be, just try to become uh, get a green card here. Or something. You to, yeah, you have to. Uh, you have to. Yeah, you marry someone or something. I have to marry. I guess it's like if you can get like yeah, you you could get the job then you do you. What is this? Oh, getting a job maybe. Mm-hmm. So what is paper? The paper mache you were telling paper, me about. Yes, paper mache. I remember this conversation. And then about. it's uh, then it's uh, I've been working on like a cement. So tell me about this work. Okay. No, it's part of like the the kind of bigger project, but I've been I've been working on this next sort of um, fancy publication, uh, yeah, about the pro- about this project, and and I started sort of thinking about support structures and uh, objects that holds all the things. And so you're gonna actually put. Yeah, different, uh, different magazines. This I don't know, and it started out as yeah. being bookshelves for this next publication. It's all made so they are the right size for that publication. But the publication, it was sort of I was sort of stagnated in yeah. the work on the publication. Okay. So, so and is this different from your other publication, which you've been doing for years, or is it just the well, new issue? It, the, it's not the, the album, the the fancy yeah. I'm doing with Elisa Stuchan. It's not that one. Okay. So, but I started. Um, last my last solo show, I did the first of what I thought was going to be five publication called Dyslexic Times, which is, I was thinking I was going to make visual essays sort of relating to my work. Since I'm not able to write about what I'm doing, yeah. I decided to start trying to work them out through these kind of visual narratives. Which, and this is what you do anyway, you're always taking images. Well, yeah, I've been working on photography for a long time, and then, uh, but then um, over the last 10 years, I've also increasingly been working with found imagery, and I'm sort of interweaving them into the other work, but also trying to see how I can speak about the photography I have been doing, or speak about um, ideas I've had about space and form and other other type of issues through also found images. So you're creating these essays and it's from found images and then you're making some kind of statement, but also it's visual too. Mm-hmm. It's not just you're trying to you're both trying to say something with them, but you're it's also the forms themselves and how they well, fit together. Or? I think I've been working for. A, a long time I've, there's issues around sort of representation of sexuality and femininity and feminism this has been important issues but there's also a very sort of form concerned and that has to do, uh, have a lot to do with type of architectural spaces or city uh, spaces and these kind of things and then with these things I'm interested in trying to sort of almost narrate kind of concerns, different type of aspects of the work I've been doing over 20 years and okay. see if I could say something more specifically, talking to aspects of what I've been looking at and saying something about it, all from inspirations to making 
sometimes visual jokes about it or right. other kind of concerns or interest in terms of, of that work. But what's been really interesting about this one is that uh, all of a sudden there's also these three-dimensional pieces that are coming out of it. Yeah. And that is like a... Uh, and this isn't... Well, you told me you were working with this sort of paper mache. I've been I was working like, huh, with like cardboard like, stuff for a so while. So you've always done... It's always well, been a thread with it. But it's... it's you know, I I did. I mean, with these, you almost don't need the books. I know. I yeah. Like, <laughs> I feel like it's um. It's becoming this empty library. Yeah. And I like that. It's and also, they're also because they're also these really kind of soft, hard forms. I was yeah. interested in making something that kind of referenced furniture and minimalist sculpture, but at the same time had also a reference to the body, both in terms of size, but also in in its softness. The fact that it can hold something, but also that it mm-hmm. gives in with the weight of the material. That Which is, in a way, I feel like you've always had this, uh, it's like you're, you have a lot to say about these conditions, right, mm-hmm. these things, and, and, but you also have an aesthetic quality in everything you do. Mm-hmm. You always have both. Yeah. They're both important. They're both important. You want important. to say some heavy stuff. Uh-huh. about what's happening in culture and what's been going on for the last 20 years. But you also have a, this aesthetic yeah. uh, quality to everything you do. Well, I'm um, interested in how... I, that's why yeah. I love your work. Yeah. I like, it's hard to do both and to have it them both be just as strong 100% and yeah. not have one dominate over the other. I yeah, and I guess I guess we, we sort of went through, we were educated in a time where we were like, constantly told that these two was two very different opposing uh, point of views as an artist. And yeah, I felt like the abstract somehow also could hold other uh, social concerns or political concerns. And I'm interested in sort of meeting points between these two. I'm drawn to both things. So this this is one of those projects where you have this idea and now it's starting to grow into something unexpected, right? So this, yes. what's happening here, you start with a starting point and then you let it evolve? Or do you go in the directions that are unexpected? But I'm not sure, maybe you can clarify. Yeah, I do. I, I think it's... Uh, I, I enjoy... I'm trying to keep an aspect of play uh, or, or some kind of uh, exploration for myself because uh, whenever I go really tired of myself, yeah. you know, tired of listening to, <laughs> to what I'm saying, it's always great to go to a space where there is no expectation, where I don't expect it to come out in a certain way or I don't expect it to uh, even become art, play around and then, and then there, sometimes there will be things that will come out of it that sometimes are surprising or sometimes it will be things I got obsessed about. So this became a kind of obsession for a good it's thing. It's kind of wild. Like, I want to get into that. We don't have to get into it now, but, but I've been talking to a lot of artists and it's like we become obsessed. It's like a fictional thing. You know what I mean? We yeah. get obsessed over this thing and we have to make it. But it's not just making it. It's like we think about it all the time. We go to sleep yeah, and yeah. wake up. and if. Something sort of in mid process, sometimes it really gets under our skin, like it bothers us. 
But isn't that kind of an unusual thing that you have this group of people just fixated on these things that aren't really functional in any way? Well, I guess or, it's the, the nerve aspects of it, yeah. right? So I think Maybe. other people have. I, I, I don't know. Only, yeah, I think so. I think like it, you meet other people in other areas that you recognize when they start speaking about their work and you recognize it, that type of the way that it can become like more important than the life you're living or more important than everything else. It's also, I think it goes in and out of that. There's periods where you are onto something or whatever silly thing you should say and then and then it becomes really obsessive. And, and I, I kind of love when it becomes obsessive. Yeah, I've, been, I've, just, I've been feeling like a sort of mediumly intelligent golden retriever, I think, for the last... <laughs> Four months. That's a good, you know, that's a great one. I just like keep your eyes on the ball. It's just like ball, 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 yeah. ball, ball. And the other thing about it is, it's not like we get something out of this in return. You know what I mean? Like we do these things, we don't necessarily care. We hope that it gets shown and so maybe even sell something. Yeah. Or, but yeah, like, something. But I, we would still do it anyway. Even yeah. If it was never going to be shown or sold. No, you know, I feel really lucky that I, you know, as you said, that I is able that I'm able to to have this space for a couple of months, yeah. that I have uh, the resources that not too much of my time goes away to, to working. So I can sp- I've been able to spend a great amount of days in a row being here, making it. Yeah. And, and it's and because like like in times like this, it's really painful when you have to go and do all yeah. the jobs and it's you have hard. to be away from it. I, I mean, you know, I'm in New York. Yeah. I never really get a stretch of time. It's yeah. always like pieces of time. Mm-hmm. In fact, I just had two months in Munich, mm. and I had so much time. At first, I was kind of scared about it because I'm used to just like the fitting in, and I kind of blew off the yeah. first few. Days. Yeah. But then it was so nice, yeah. uninterrupted. I could really get into things. It was the best feeling in the world, yeah. and like. And did it change what you were doing? Yeah, I did something completely different. I actually borrowed a friend's medium for my camera and took analog. Mm. You know, I went around and took pictures, 10 pictures of roll. Yeah. And you really think about what you're taking. And I forgot about how good of a feeling it is to walk around with an analog camera. You kind of look at things differently mm. and then think about each shot. And then you have to bring it together, process, and then you look at it and then you scan it. And the whole thing is like a week longer and I mean in this case I was taking footage and images the first month I had no idea what I had and then I got everything back and it was you know I'm holding a photo it's like a real photograph yeah it also gives you a distance right it's it's sort of like it's and this it, must be like that yeah like well, with your hands, yeah. it it comes a lot from because I was working with analog photography for a long time and I really I loved working analog, but it became increasingly more and more difficult. I was running a darkroom, a color darkroom here yeah. for many years, and but it was difficult to keep it up to standards and to keep enough people using it, and it just got more and more difficult. So at some point, it made sense to start shooting more and more digitally. But my problem is that I don't like having to work with a computer. I, I was hating yeah. sitting in front of the computer d- day in and day out. So for me to be sort of back actually working here with my hands and sitting sort of deeply inside of this and this, how slow it's been going and the way it's been growing, it, it, it's been... Because I was missing that part of being in contact with what I was doing, like that type of 
inwards time that somehow it is to make yes. something with your hands. It's incredible. I like it. Yeah, and the slowness. Yeah. Allowing the slowness. Like it's such a push to Yeah, and it makes you think in a different way. Because then of course I've been I'm also been working on some videos and some images and and, and also this publication. But so actually sitting here working on this I've been able to think about the other projects. Uh, the other aspect of this project so then now yeah because you have that mental space yeah and while you're working on this you don't really have to think about this too much no it's because uh, it's, it's but then your brain is going in all these yeah. millions of directions and you're working out all the other stuff so that's been great so then so then i'm, I'm my friend is coming what i love this one window by the way <laughs> yeah. so like, it's like a church i know and it never been really, I, I always call this like it's like a why not sell to come up here? Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. I like. I was thinking like church or something. So You're really like freak, thinking about mental institutions. Yeah, freaked out about the fact that you can't uh, see out the windows when I came here the first time yeah. in, in the other room as well. Because I thought I was going to feel like if I in just a fish find tank. You like in the corner, like. Yeah, but you know, you bring your work in, and that, that's what you look at, and then you never miss the window after that, because then the window is just a distraction. So let's go back. So yeah. you said your friend. No, my friend is coming, coming to stay with me for a couple of weeks. Um, and so then we we're going to shoot video. So that also had pushed me to try to finish these pieces so we can shoot in here. So that's always been it's been good too to actually complete it, even though there's no show coming up before like. But it gave you a time. kind of yes, official deadline. Yeah, I figured you know. I and I had that too. I had the deadline. Yeah. I had to do a presentation. Exactly, yeah, it's good. They did are good sometimes. Then clean the floor, look at them. You know, I mean, it's been looking like a mess in here. There's been, like, you know, cement all over the place. So I got to see it all perfect. Yeah, I want to take some images too for the sure, sure. It just cleaned up two days ago. So, so I it's love really this, the soft. It's like yeah. soft, but totally solid. Yeah. It's really does something in your brain, actually. Like, yeah, that was like the whole sort of point that they would, that they would have that sort of body quality. It's wild They're autonomous and they work together. And I liked it in the way that I was. It's just I, cardboard. It's reinforceable cardboard. Yeah, it's well, you know, cardboard. Then then there's newspaper and wood glue. Okay. Then there's uh, then there's uh, what do you call it? Burlap yeah. in glue. Okay, and so then there's the cement on top. Have you tried putting? Oh yeah, I yeah, I, I have the, uh, the the first book which is the same size, and it's true. It, it's I don't think necessarily they need them in there either. And I will have two shows in, in the fall. Uh, no, the, one in Oslo and one in Trondheim, and one of them is a is like a nominated for for a prize. So we have like four artists that are we get a room each. Okay. So so I think as I get a little closer, I will. Um, just pick pieces, you know, see what will go to each show, and which is a nice way of, of, of in the working. Fall, so that's in September. So it's like half. Oh, so you have a lot, yeah. So you have a half year to really develop. It seems like this is one of those projects that's like you're gonna create a lot of different elements. Yeah. And then you don't even really know what you're gonna show, what goes together. Yeah. But you're it's gonna like, have. It's not like a it's bigger than the one room show, yeah. so which is nice. But it's also, you know, it's like... I have you can just, do different things with it. Maybe in this me, show you yeah. do this, and that show you just yeah. do that. And I'm working publication, video, photographs, and now sculptures. So there's like, it can go a lot of different ways. Is this how you normally work, or is this... No, this is new. Th uh, this whole kind of 
know, well, opera, you know or, it's or, or yeah. like your trilogy like your epic trilogy i like to work this way but it's like you know yeah. one of the things that came with this this nomination to this prize is that they have given us some money to so you have a stipend yeah from yeah. it so this yeah, is so what this is why you know, amazing. it's amazing you know i decided that that means that i can say no to quite a bit of money work which and focus which is really great this is the first time in a very long time that I've actually spent continuous time in the studio on my work I mean, for several years now. I have only a couple of weeks to go in and produce a show. It's like it had to develop in my head that you go in, you shoot, you do things, you you make it in between all the other things you do. You raising of money to produce the sculptures, all these kind of things. So that was also interesting. So it feels really, it feels like a luxury. It feels yeah. joyous. You know, yeah. I'm so enjoying it and. And um, I remember there's all this pent up stuff that needs to come out. That was the fun. Yeah, part. that's the thing. Like you, <laughs> it keep the process keeps going whether yeah. you're working or not. Yeah. Don't you think? Uh, the, yeah, no, but but you just keep stuffing it inside. It's like because you don't know, and and so that was like it was fun to see that it just sort of came out. Uh, I worked with with sculptures when I was a student, but then it was just too. I then lived in New York, and it was. I didn't have the space to no, to keep anything. I didn't have a, the workshops. Where, I didn't have the. When you were a student, where like in New York? The, or yeah, here? no, uh, uh, in in New York. I was a where student uh, at the Cooper Union yeah, Cooper in New York, Union. which was so, great. I yeah, was so Cooper lucky. Union's I'm one nice. of the, the super lucky people who got to. It was free back then. It was. It was totally. Yeah, it was free. I think now it's not free anymore. And I just stumbled upon that school. I came from here, and I didn't know about it. I happen to be there and I That's applied. a magical place. Like it has this aura yeah. of one of the few universities almost like European. It's like a think tank in a way. Like you have Yeah, at the, the same time it like, actually is really American and that is the sad thing that that America has uh, forgotten that that is it America. It used to be that way. Yeah. When my grandfather went to college, he went mm-hmm. to Brooklyn College, it was free if you yeah. got in back well, a long time ago. And the Cooper so. Union is started by Peter Cooper, who was yeah. who was the son of an immigrant from Europe, who only had like one year of schooling, and who became an inventor and a really rich man. Was at one point I think the mayor of New York, and he made that school. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but he, yeah. well, I guess I went to that school. Yeah. But he he that school was was made to give education to the to the talented children of immigrants who couldn't afford to yeah. educate their children. He was sort of someone he worked in in engineering and in architecture and invent, he invented glue I think in jello and okay. uh, you know so he had money how so did he you even money? hear about it from here because I when I finished uh, since I'm I'm a dyslexic yeah. uh, I fin- and I finished high school in 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 Norway I um, I didn't speak any English which is something that my parents were worried about since there's only like five million people in the world who speaks Norwegian. Yeah. So you kind of need to know English. So I ended up, this, uh, the, uh, to, they sent me to for uh, like a one year in college in the US to learn to speak English. I took ESL classes. And that was in, the, in was North that? New Jersey. Which school? In a st- Ramapo College, in a state school in okay. North New Jersey. Yeah. yeah. But that's Which, close to New York. Right? It was yeah, in why it was physically close, mentally really far away yeah. in 1988. You're really young. Yeah, but also because the kids in New Jersey they didn't go into no. New York then. Isn't that kind of wild? It was like, like they were like, oh, don't go you there. Meet it's dangerous. Long, you meet people in Long Island who don't go yeah. to New York City ever. 
Yeah, I, I, I think it's really different now. But in the 80s, it was, it was like people didn't go. Oh, yeah, New York was So, and I didn't have a driver's license, so it was difficult. So I was able to find a bus after a while. So I had to walk to a really small town called Mawa, and I could get on the bus and then go into Manhattan. So then I was start doing that. But one of the great things in at, yeah, at uh, Ramapo was that... I'll, I'll come back here to take photos yeah. later. Yeah, so go on. Had, um, they did have art courses there. Uh, so I took school to class. Yeah, most public, did, yeah, most public schools have an art department. And the guy who ran so. um, the sculpture classes at Ramapo, which I think this is the back get the good um, His name was Jay Hooley, and he, uh, he sort of took me under his wing. So I owe him a lot. He was great. Yeah, but that's all it takes is one person. Like he I was had somebody super, good too. Because I felt yeah, exactly. I was depressed and I didn't feel it. You know, yeah. I was in the culture shock. Gen, and, uh, Gen Xer. And he just like <laughs> let me be there and and uh, and hang out and and then at some point he said, you know, maybe you should look for like an art school. You know, he was like, you you shouldn't be in a college where there's just with. Kids just taking an so art class here and there. You it. should go to a real college, art school. You you like you're an artist, he said. And uh, yes, please. And um, so then he helped me put together a portfolio, drove me and a couple of other students to some open houses at like Risty and to uh, Pratt and Atlantic Cube Union. So, so he showed you must have been mind blown when he went so in to those schools. You must have been like, wow. You know, I was a European little brat kid, so I, you know, I my dream had to be go, to going to the art school here, and that's all I knew about because you kind of, you know, this is for me the only thing that this sort of taught me was that sometimes, you know, your wildest dreams are only as like large as your experiences, and what Cooper ended up doing for me was to show me that there were things outside of what I had desired to do. Wait, I want to, I just want to think about that. Your wildest dreams are as big as your experiences. Yeah, you you somehow can't dream outside of things that you know about. Because you don't know. Because you don't know. So of course, so if you're here, you're like. I grew up in Oslo, small, yeah. and I had. My, and I can't imagine what Oslo was like. Yeah, it was in the eighties. It was tiny. Yeah, tiny, and it it wasn't this bustling city like open no. city that it is now. But I grew up in a community very close to the art world. My mom had gone to the arts and crafts school for, for design. And my father was uh, went to the architect school. Lots of their friends. Some of their friends were artists. And were they? They were artists. So was your lifestyle kind of like? Yeah, it was this open artist. Yeah, you was know, very, artists are kind of more out of the box, right? I was very attracted to their friends that were artists. There was, you know, they smelled right to me. Yeah. There was something I liked the way they. I mean, there were lots of things that I thought was really nice and romantic when I was a kid myself that now I think was not so great, but, you know. Like, yeah, but it's so great. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, look, I hung out with, with bad people <laughs> in the city, and it was so much fun, and sometimes I look back, and I'm like, ooh. You know, you're like, Yeah, so I had the dream. Yeah, exactly. But like, <laughs> back then, it worked a little bit. Like, you first when you could go to the arts and crafts school, and fun. then, that's fine. And then you could uh, then move over to that art academy later, uh, if I you think wanted it's cool to. Cool that you have an arts and crafts school. Actually. Yeah, the arts and like crafts. Like now, school is really that's good. probably yeah. hipper. 
to do arts and because it's become really. It hip. should be. Yeah. You know, I like the outsider art yeah. has exploded in New York. Mm-hmm. The whole outsider art concept. Yeah. This has become really big, and there's a folk art museum in New York. Yeah, I know. Or the Arts and Crafts Museum. Yeah. And it's become... Yeah, you like, had the Dodger, and you had those people who come yeah, pe- out. And yeah, and people, like the openings now are packed. Like, people are really into it now. Well, you know, I think it could be seen in relation to... I think there's so much that becomes, like, buy the book after a while. And it's you, so, like, you can buy like the, the book, smart-ass artist. We can make everything And then you slip. see this person who nev- no one ever recognized that as an artist but who worked all their life, just worked and worked and worked. And when you look at their, what they made, you recognize the artist in them. So as an artist, you, you see that. So it could be You've a weird... retained it. Like, isn't it kind of wild? Like, you're, you started off with the arts and crafts and your mm-hmm. mother, and now you're kind of crafting. And I wonder if there's any thread of yeah. continuity that stretched all through this time, like... I don't know. Well, just, I don't know. I'm but, trying to make but, connections. Yeah, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> it but it's, it, I, I agree with you that the art and craft school should be more attractive than going to the other one. I think the students don't see it, and that's unfortunate, and that's a job we should do. Because I think yeah. it's, it's so great there could exist different uh, ways of entering into being an artist, and that it isn't one machinery no. to make a good artist. That is No, and I think it's big enough now, Yeah. like the ecosystem. Yeah where it can embrace so many different points of view, not just this highly educated point mm. of view, which I went through, but I think it can fit everything. It can fit street art, it can fit graphic art. I just came from Munich where you have to go through the art academy. Mm-hmm. Like, well, that's a European, it's, it's a sort of almost European, like a Renaissance kind of. Uh, like academy. It has some good stuff, and then it has some really sort of uppity parts that, that with our, our And I saw both sides. Not nice. As an outsider, I kind of admired the yeah. fact that you, the Arts Academy in Munich, I mean, it's this beautiful building, yeah. and they have amazing facilities, and... An and also they get library. time to... They have five years. Yeah, and they just come time free. to, like, fester. The you know, you come in with a bad idea it. and it festers yeah. for, like, five years. and The whole thing's paid for. It's five years. Mm-hmm. And you have one mentor. Mm, that's and, not so good, though. But it is kind of amazing from my point yeah. of view. Yeah. Because you know what it's like mm-hmm. where I am, mm-hmm. like, SGA and just New York. It's yeah. class, class, class. You do have professors you connect with more, but... But this like mentorship, it felt like this yeah. guild and this renaissance kind of... Yeah, it is connected to and that. I and it has thought. aspects of it that are really good. Then it has aspects that are really problematic. Yeah, and the problematic Because was, if you don't get along with that one professor you have, if he's a shithead, yeah. because he's usually you a he, it. it's like, what do you do? Everybody I talked to who was showing in galleries, who was doing well, they all went through that mm. system. And one of the artists, the, the artists I'm working with, mm. she actually didn't go through that system. And yeah. it's definitely had challenges. Mm-hmm. Even though she actually went through, she got a PhD in anthropology. She has a PhD. Yeah, but, but imagine who goes through that system then. They do not see that they already have, the ne- their network is already made. That's what happens through those five years. They're connected. And this is kind of the, what is the problem between the schools here too then. It's okay. like, the eye of the needle is so small. If you get into the school, you already made. made it. Yeah, you're made. So, so you are ex- sort of accepted as part of the 
art world kind of the moment you are yeah. part of the school and and in one way that's a wonderful situation but then at mm-hmm. the same time there are people who should also be part of the system who doesn't get that type of door, uh, opening and, of the door and when we look back in the history we we do honor those artists who didn't go through the system who sure, were we should outside a lot of the we artists should because they there that was a very hard road to take so the system is set up that way that the, uh, because there's no space for everybody. So there's lots of people that will would, would decide to do other things along the way or will fall off, so to speak. But I'm kind of unsure if we should be so sure that it's always the best ones that are left standing in the end, you know? I mean, look at what you just went through. You brought back an artist mm. who was kind of forgotten, right? Some yeah, sense. she was overlooked. She was, and yeah. think, And it was you, another artist... Who did it? It wasn't a historian or a curator. Well, it started. It was kind of a long, uh, a long story, and it started with, uh, uh, with Elisa that I do album with, and me approaching the Kunsthalle here in Oslo to make a show. We co uh, curated it with Kunsthalle here, so we were kind of a, we were like a group of people. But it was an, a very interesting uh, combination because we we needed to do so much groundbreaking research to, for to make the show actually happen and the show was about feminism and art in Norway between 1968 and 1989 between the two revolutions and it was a historical show because we realized as we were working on it that there were no institution in Norway had done an historical show on yeah. feminism and art in this period <clears throat> in Norway ever you know, so, so none of the curators or historians? No, and we were approaching the centennial for the woman's vote in Norway in okay. 2013. So it was also strange that this show was there for our picking, that no one, that none of the museums or bigger things tried Nobody to do it. Nobody picked up on that. No. And then, you know, really quickly... And these are see, these are themes you've been working on all, all Yeah, I've been career. interested in these things, and yeah. these are things that we've been talking about. So this happened... We started sort of talking on this when I was at ICP in New York. Uh, Elise and I were working on an issue for album, and it was on representation I mean, I of femininity. That. And we started going, oh, what kind of thing should we do for the launch of this fanzine? So it started that simple. And as we started sort of circling it in it you know and as different people came to and brought up things it became really clear that this wasn't a small you know event for a launch of a fan scene this was kind of a big undertaking of a show like so you basically took on the whole movement you had to try to find a lot of work and artists that weren't collected by the institutions that weren't uh, written the about yeah Fell that, through the cracks. yeah that and there was there was mostly women yeah. The art system so, so you know you start so you start and then of course it's it, it's helpful to be from a small place just to defend the institutions they when you came to them to pitch this they were into it right well the, this is a small really small yeah. institution that okay. I can install here they were cool they, they yeah. are a really cool place with cool people and and they're interested in this type of investigatory and they're interested in looking at looking at the cracks, looking at what isn't represented by the where you know the big state money goes. They're small so, enough to be open. Yeah, and to to you know, and and it should be said about them too that I think when Elise and I came, we came with a with a quite sort of uh, light-footed idea about you know because we were like, what happened to all these sort of feminist really. Uh, colorful, in-your-face, cheaply made stuff that we remember from when we were children and in that, the 70s. I was going to ask you, like you, 
you were exposed to that like you remember yeah. it yeah, like things we saw in the in the Mar- in the eighth of March, March, you know, the yeah. the demonstration that goes through town, things like you know that people had on their walls and 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 stuff, and and with all the our feminist mothers and stuff, and you know, where's that in the museum? There's no place where we can take our students to show them. And, and it's weird because culturally, Norway, from my point of view, seems like way more equal. From an outsider's point of view, as far as like, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know the intricacies of it. It's just like this image. Yeah, but the this, art world is, you know, strangely stubborn, and it, it is, you know, and that was slow. That was the what my investigation ended up being. You know, it goes back to sort of cliches about like the meritocracy, right? Even though everybody says yeah, but everybody knows the art world isn't. But at the same time, it's still kind of likes to speak of itself as if it is and the museums still talk I mean, about themselves as if they are so the it's sort of the attitude is that if it's good enough it will make it through and so if it isn't in the collection of the museum it meant that it wasn't good enough that's like the flip side right and you went to the art historians and you know that was what they said they said well you know you you're not going to find very much there weren't many interesting artists at that time female artists women um, there were yeah because they weren't yeah they didn't really make that much good work or, and then or this or there were other comments saying that oh yeah there were some but there there were so many holes in their careers you know so you can't you know build art history on it and stuff because it was like you know she did one that's usually here. the most common argument yeah well it's a pretty common argument about women they have too many complicated holes always too many holes right mm-hmm. so uh, <laughs> too many holes <laughs> yeah <laughs> That's funny. So, uh, <laughs> no, so, so through that one and a half year of research, we found, you know, we ended up finding so many great artists, so much great artwork. So, so that whole presumption was totally false. It totally false. And we were able to put together a show of 25 plus artists because also we, that we, were also, we pulled in some um, group shows and historical group shows on feminism that happened in the 70s. There were about... 80 works of art in there. Did you actually go find these people? Yeah, 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 yeah. Like some of them were not alive anymore. So we spoke to their children. There were people who were old and sick, so we spoke with their spouses. Or there were people who we started speaking to. And there were artists that, some of the artists that were really important to that show that I didn't really know as artists when I started. Yeah. you know, I'm I mean, yeah, much no way above, like, averagely interested. Yeah, like, if you didn't have access, mm-hmm. then forget it. Yeah. Like, somebody who's, like, actually focused on this, yeah. looking for it, and you didn't have exposure to yeah. it until you really got down to some serious research, which, so it's, I mean, it's kind of amazing you took so it was, time. It was amazing, and we really struggled to get funding. You think they would have... Yeah. But we did it anyway. Gone we worked over. really hard. The people were also saying that, you know, it was risky. There was not, because a lot of people wouldn't be interested in the show full of old women. And then we proved them all wrong. I mean, yeah. the show was like a success. So that was really yeah. fun. It just, and we could feel it already from the opening. It was just boiling. It was so many people. And it, it, it became a show that has become a kind of reference. Uh, made a sort of turning point in art history here and that's been really fun.
And yeah. now we've finally been able to make a publication that's going to uh, be released fairly and soon. And I think that's super important, to mm-hmm. have a kind of documentation of the whole process. Yeah, but you know, when you don't uh, have any funding, it's impossible. Yeah, <laughs> so I people know. are being like, oh, you're so, you really should have made a publication. And like, yeah, but yeah, from what right. money? So most of our research were, were like taking, you know, sort of... So this uh, is the show? This is phone, like, yeah, phone. No, this is not the show. This is the like the material yeah, that the show is made yeah. out of. So what so we tried just to, yeah, this is from uh, from the women's uh, so liberation yeah, camp in Norway in, in the seventies, which you, and you can see they obscured the all the faces, right? Because you know, yeah. yeah. I think it worked. I mean, you had both built a reputation around album. People took you seriously because of years and years of work on the album and these other things. So yeah, when you well, came to the table, it's not... Like, I wonder if it would have worked if it was, like, two students from the academy kind of thing. I don't think uh, so. But I think also what it gave us is, is a position where we also... We knew the young artists and we know the older artists. Elisa's father is an artist, so that's a... Uh, Wow. This is Venke Mielaisen. It's a performance. She, it looks intense. Yeah, yeah. she um, lived with the, the Wiener auctionists in the late 70s and 80s in Vienna, Otto Mühl, uh, and, and were doing um, this radical form of, of theater performance stuff. She, she um, did performance in the side program at Documenta in 1982. This was the first time that she was shown in an art context in Norway. This show. Even though she was in documentary in 1980s. Mm-hmm. And she, but she has gone in to become an, an academic later. She left sort of performance and art and went into academia and is now a professor in gender studies at the university in Stavanger. She's been for many years. So she's, she's an important voice in Norway, but she wasn't sort of included into um, yeah. that. There's the... Yeah, so CD, Aurdal, which was one of the sort of surprise, uh, you know, meetings of something that I stumbled over, like looking for, for, for different artists, and uh, I think first time I, so she was mentioned in in a book. Uh, she, on this generation from the late 50s into the 60s and she was mentioned there and then there was this small just the image of, of this man sitting in this big kind of sinewy S-shaped form and uh, and it said that it was at Kunstanesus which is, was the sort of big kunsthal here from like, the 1930s and in 1969 and it just like froze me in my place when I saw it because I was like oh my god this if this I'd never heard about her. I'd never heard about the piece. And I was like, if this had happened in London or New York or in Stockholm, this would be sort of the, the, one, the, the one artwork that, that would sort of signify the whole age, the whole time. It's so like on the spot for the time that it was made in. And then started this long process of trying to find out what had happened to her. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then again, it comes in this thing about being a small, a small country. Because I found an old, uh, like a, a phone book, and I started at some point just calling every single person with the same last name to see if I you could find. You actually went to the phone book. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. And uh, <coughs> but what about Kunin and Suits? No, there was no. Info- you know, Did they have an archive. 
Yeah, but that, no, that art camp, like, you know, everything has been underfunded forever. This has okay. been artist run. Yeah. Artist run. You know, so that means it means really that everything is like in turmoil and yeah. and th things have been like there is no continuity in the archives. And so you can find in the archive that the show had happened, but you can't find out what happened to her. Where did you find the one picture? It was in a book? It was, it was in, a, in an art historical text on uh, the generations from 1958 to Gerrit is her name that wrote that book. So it was on this kind of radical movements. It spoke about all these different radical movements, but not with a focus on feminism. So there were very few women mentioned, some, but there was not a particular focus on it's that. It's more just about the time period. Yeah, so she's thing. mentioned in there, and this piece is mentioned. In one image. Uh, one little image. Tiny. And, and, then, um, and then you go on through the phone book. And one day there was this one phone number that where nobody picked up and had almost the same name. And I was like, oh, maybe it's the niece or, you know, something like that. And then one day, you know, I just let it call and call and call. And she finally picked up the phone and it was her. Wow. And then we struck up this phone relationship in the beginning. And she had sort of pulled out of the art world in 1980 and she didn't want to have anything to do with it. And, you know, so she was like, no, no, no. And then in the beginning, it was just about trying to keep her on the phone. I spoke about her sculptures and uh, she was, you know, she's an artist. So she liked me speaking about course. her, yeah. you know, I, I said, you know. I mean, you're probably the first person who called her so, and who asked about her work and that's, that's almost 30 years. Yeah, and then it turned out that her work, that none of her big pieces were, uh, were in existence anymore. And uh, what we ended up doing was to uh, draw up from her old slides so we recreated a, a plexiglass piece for uh, the show. You're doing like, so. you're all of a sudden in a role that somebody in a major museum like the MoMA would be in. Strange. Like curator from a major museum would do a project like this and it would take years mm -hmm. and funding and, and you're in this role out of... Without any, you just, any, you just like, did it. You just went and did it. This is why I love artists. We well, you know, just you, do it. You we get really it. angry. You you like you know <clears throat> you realize that here is a, I would say the greatest sculptor of the like yeah. 1960s, early 70s in Norway, Norway. and yeah, she's yeah. a woman, and she'd done monumental, architecturally related really sort of deeply um, socially conscious funded artwork and, most people and, weren't thinking about that stuff and no world. one has done the effort to make sure that she was like kept in as as our legacy as our inheritance as as a country you know yeah. it has implication outside of her it this is you know my inheritance yeah. I, I would say it made me so profoundly angry that the, you know you just you that just fueled your yeah you, you roll up your your yeah, sleeve and like, you just right. get to work we're going to fight this. This gonna, is like, going to happen. We're, we're going to make this happen. Yeah. Without any doubt, you're yeah. like, I will no. make this happen. I mean, and this is did. what I live for. Yeah. And I, did, I mean, I can't believe I was here for that opening. Mm. Isn't that... Yeah, that's amazing. Like I... No, you weren't for this opening. You were for the... the not for I that opening. The No, this... You Am I the, pronouncing it correctly? Can yeah, you? it's for her. But I tell you, this is, this is the group show we did. Okay. So... And that piece that we did was in that group show too. Okay. But the, this so, yeah, show was in 2013. I don't want to miss anything. Yeah. So what happened was that after, when this show came down. Is this more? Yeah. Okay, before, so you did that show. I kept on. I kept in contact with Siri. 
and uh, so you recreated one of her pieces for that show. For this show, yeah, for that show, the much and, smaller one because it was yeah, a small space. And, and you had eighty artists. Yeah, so. yeah, yeah. A twenty, but eighty pieces. But eighty pieces. Yeah, okay. yeah. So, so, uh, and there was lots of great. Can I just? I know. I I just want to pause for a second. Like, mm-hmm. what was the opening like? Like, just tell me the, about the that, opening was like of was, all that effort, and you did it, and you're the, everything's hung. It was great because it's like what we did. Uh, we did this. Um, of course, then we had like no money, no, yeah. no, nothing, and we had totally and we had that. a good sort of, and, and then there was lots of artists, and then there's also family of artists, the deceased artists that you know. So we wanted to do something, but we couldn't afford to like take him out or do anything like that. So the la- we put aside, and then Elisa, I, and the people and the people at the Kunsthalle, we put away the whole day, and then we made. We went home and made food, and we invited them for dinner. So they came to the the the, the space opened at seven. So but so at five they were invited for wine and food before so the yeah, opening. Like a dinner for all. Yeah, the, so we made the, the yeah. So That's we were cool. like a thirty people dinner, and there was lots of people there who hadn't seen each other for like twenty years or more. Or it, that was really great, you know, That's just for the that must have been atmosphere. such an amazing. And then, so it was a really good atmosphere. And then at seven, just people. There were so much people in there that you couldn't move. And then you knew that the, at, that this show was... you sparked a nerve. Yeah. You tapped into something that was... Mm-hmm. Even though people aren't aware, there was a need. We there also opened a, 2013, which was the year of the centennial for the female you, vote. You so, it right. you so, made it in time. so we made sure to like have it on the most significant day and the most significant year, and then with artworks that hadn't been seen for a very long time. And did the press were you able? Did they? Yeah, eat there was lots of press, okay, and there good. was lots of you know, and and there 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 are there were a lot of. Were you, these there, or this was after? No, this is. This is These the, were there in the show? Yeah. This okay, is, great. This so is, people could take it. Yeah, this was, we made this up so people could take it with them. See, that's important too. I mean, and, you know, the little bit of information we have about, so we pr- try to make one page for each artist, mm-hmm. and there's a little bit of information on the pieces. But there was just so, if a student, you know, want to hold on to it, in 10 years later they want to go in and do an art historical research project, at least the information we had found we could pass on. That was yeah. the... You know, there was this piece were in the show, which is a big sort of um, made out of like natural fibers, fairly big, and it's Welcome. and it's uh, it's called against circumcision. So things were like really political and really sort of straightforward, and yeah. you know, lots of yeah. So uh, more we can go through. But this it. is this is uh, Venki yeah. Bielais and Tufon and her performances. That's intense. She does this interactive theater, which is <laughs> really hardcore. So it's just lots of. Uh, all the different p- posters. There's a lot of, you know, this is the, what we grew up with a lot. A lot of these type of uh, Abukhanovich uh, inspired. There was a, <clears throat> several. There were a couple of artists who went from Norway to Poland in the late '60s, early '70s to to study there, and came back with, you know, this is the Abukhanovich mm-hmm. pieces shown here. So we remembered being to these kind of shows when we were kids. This is newer, newer work, but. Yeah. So, but anyway, so after, so I kept in contact with CD, and then already in the fall of 2013, uh, she needed to. Uh, she was sort of. She had to leave the apartment where she'd been living and working, and she 
was not in in physical shape to do that thing on her own. And she was kind of in bait to find someone to help her out. And when I finally realized that, first I was like, oh, we have to find someone to help you. And then not being able to find that and have not the money for it, I decided to take it on as a job myself, just to do it, like to organize the whole move. Because I was really worried that there would be, because I still didn't know a whole lot about her work. Only she had given me like 15 slides. That's all I kind of knew. So I was really curious to find out what more there were to sort of back up these few really great pictures. So then I spent, with the help of two former students, we spent three months packing down her studio, uh, sort of taking apart everything and trying to save absolutely everything that could be some type of information about her oeuvre. And then... Wow, you almost did like library. Yeah. Like you created a kind of archive. And nothing, nothing like in order. Yeah. Nothing was connected. You had to organize it from scratch. So, and then, but then there was this really interesting thing that happened where people, a lot of people around me started to sort of feminizing what I was doing. <laughs> where they were going, oh, you're so nice. You're nice to an old lady. You're helping an old lady. Make sure you don't burn out. And, you know, uh, oh, and then I was like, oh, my God, now all of a sudden I'm doing this because I'm really interested in her as an artist. And I, as an artist, I'm interested in this older artist. And this is. But they looked at it more as like. Yeah, here's this middle aged lady. The typical middle aged lady helping older lady, right, in her 80s. Social work context, not like, wait, this is an important artist. Yeah, and it it sort of belittled what I was doing very Mm -hmm. much. So I felt. So you got more fire. Yeah. (laughs) More fuel. Yes. (laughs) More anger. You know. Which leads to this this, massive book. This is when I decided to. that I had to somehow turn all of these scraps of paper into something that would have a presence and that something that would say that this wasn't like the the art historian's argument that it was just one piece and nothing more you know she's like one hit wonder and i wanted to say something about that this is actually a whole life's worth of work here's the proof yeah and i want (laughs) so i needed to piece it together yeah there you go yeah and i wanted to and i was like okay i want to i make a book because uh, it, it can go into the library at the art school, a young student can find it. It goes into a type of archive. It will also I can slam it in the desks of people who would you know say something else, and it will make a sound. It has to be thick enough to make a sound. Yeah. I can plunk it it's into the heavy. table. It was like. Pfft. And these are, it's good things she took all this documentation and kept it. Well, yeah, but you know, like this, I've there's pieces in here I found oh, in storage spaces underneath the crate. I mean, it's like. It's it was really like doing you know archaeology, and it's kind of cool that everything was all aged and banged up. Like it looks so good in this book. You know, two things I was interested in when I was making the book. It was to somehow speak to scale. This is something you know something that she and I have spoken about a lot, and that I guess I had from my education in sculpture. Uh, sculpture is this importance of understanding scale or this difference so how do you actually translate that into a book how do you actually speak to that when is something small when is something big also in terms of all this paper material 
So I wanted it to have as much as possible, uh, like a, like a facsimile. That's probably just a little piece. Uh, yeah, it's, it's this size. You know, so it's, it's smaller here than it is in real life. But I've been trying as much as possible to keep things one-to-one -one in the book. So you get the sense of what kind of paper it, it's drawn or printed on. That it gives you a f almost like as much as possible a feeling that I... That's her. When she's young. Yeah, this is in 1979. I think scale is scale a is huge very... thing in your project in there. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because These are like, all related to the, the body. Book. They fit the book, but they're also on human yep. scale. But they're also made to fit this publication. Yeah. So you're almost I think like these... dealing with multiple scales at once. But I guess the books are also on a human scale. I think that, that is in the, the other room. Are, the bookshelves are all about you know, having a female body. It's about holding, it's about supporting. You know, it's this project I'm working on now has a lot to do with this project I did with CD. It's sort of processing this experience of actually supporting somebody else. My role became, who do I need to be next to her for her to be able to be on her feet and actually weather the storm again? You kind of had to really... She needed a support structure. She needed someone to have her back. And, and nobody really, had had her back before. No. And but I was that's, like, that's so rare. I mean, I, even in Munich, like I went and I was talking to some artists, like a couple of the artists I met with, they have long careers, but I think I was like the first person to ever spend two hours with them, mm -hmm. talking to them about their work in mm -hmm. their entire lives. And they're mm -hmm. like in their late 60s. Yeah. And they've never even had that. Like they were so hungry for yeah. it. And it felt so great to give yeah. that and record it I'm hoping in a way I'm trying to create an archive yeah, yeah. I think it's great I think this because, is because um, I realize I, from doing Vector like a, I have 225 artists now Yeah, I wish I started this from the beginning because yeah. I'm in a unique position where I'm meeting a lot a lot of artists on a very yeah. intimate level I should document this I, I wish I got the idea but is this? Ago, but, but do you see this coming out of you teaching I'm thinking this is really connected with you teaching I, I don't know I, because I just remember from the yeah. like the late 80s in, in New York the way that when like uh, there was this like really strange idea that like everybody does it on their own and, and you were either a career artist yeah. or you were one of those who didn't make it. And, and I think that still looking exists. Looking back at it, yeah. I think that that is so wrong. It's and wrong, it, it's, but it still exists, I think. that. Yeah, but it's a attitude. really wrong attitude. New York's a little different yeah. because a lot of professors are active artists. Yeah. But like when you're outside of New York, it's definitely still a kind of stigma, I think. Like this is the kind of Paris things that we can give to actually listen and go yeah. in and, and, and I make. I know for me, like I definitely grew up thinking, and I don't know if it's from art schools or being in New York or my father, mm. that everything is important, like every detail, mm. like all these little elements. Yeah, I'm doing the journal, but like these meetings are so important, like they should be documented. And I mean, I grew up with this idea that Artists are special. <laughs> My father instilled in me, I don't know if it's true or not, yeah. okay? Maybe it sounds really pretentious, but he said to me that anybody can work for money. Don't devote yourself to making money. Devote yourself to creating art because you'll spend the money and you can't bring it with you. Mm -hmm. And then this other artist, Gary Stephan, when I was at SVA, he said it's all about the people you are who you surround yourself with. Mm. Like, that's the important thing. It's the people. 
And I grew up in a big family, so I've always loved people, and I've always loved people who are weird. And I actually really am interested, I really care about other artists. And even though the push was to have this lone wolf competitive yeah, but, thing. But what they don't see when the sensation of that lone wolf, it's never like that. You do anything solely on your own. But it's also what it does, it's, it gives somebody else the power of definition. And this is what I'm interested oh, in, what you're doing. Statement. The power of definition. Yeah, but it's it's sort it's of as artists to sort of, yeah. to actually have, we do have that power and to use yeah. it and to... I think to, we have a tremendous amount of power in yeah. society. And I think what you're describing, how these people fell through the cracks, society at large is not realizing this dynamic power with mm. artists all over the world. There's galleries and there's museums and this and but I feel like if you take something like the tech world, they're always like, oh, we want out-of-the-box thinking. Mm -hmm. I mean, I feel like you should have an artist in every company mm -hmm. as an artist resident, meaning we're being ignored. Like, it's this mm -hmm. powerful resource of society mm -hmm. that's being ignored in mm -hmm. the same way that a lot of these women artists were ignored. Yeah, you know? and of course, also because I'm, as you mentioned before, like getting older and as one, you know, there there is this, like, one is always have a foot on each side of power and powerlessness, right? Yeah. Depending on who you stand next to. And I'm interested in see what to always like try to be aware of the amount of power one does have and to use that for some purpose that is meaningful. And I mean, I've been, mm -hmm. I've been called uh, sort of pretentious uh, when I've spoken about this because I have spoken about it I in know. relation to her. But I was interested. Well, I'm in a believer. In, I but I was, yeah, I was interested in seeing that, you know, like, so I'm a mid-career artist and, you know, in a in a small country and with a, a, a tiny little career, like, but I, so I have a name here, but not outside of Norway. And then it's interesting to see, like, what could I actually, could I stand up to the institutions and actually make a point? And could I make that point be heard? And what I found out was that, yes, yeah. I'm able to do that. I had to be willing to spend six years working uh, for nothing for a, a job I defined myself. And there was a lot of work and it was really mm -hmm. hard, but it was incredibly satisfying. And I mean, a really important part of this is that both Elise and I, uh, just before we started uh, the, the feminist show, got a grant, each of us. And that enabled us to actually go in and do this kind of work. So it's yeah, not like, true. it's not that so we don't have to work uh, at the same time, but it's enough to actually to, the, to the survive. And so it becomes somewhat that, a little bit a sort of thinking of that too, that we could afford to some type of civil service. But then I like this idea of then turning your civil service into also uh, sort of spearheading a political project about how to define recent art history in my own community. And I had the same thing, like when I graduated from SVA, I won a grant. Mm -hmm. And that grant enabled me to do the first issue of Vector. Mm -hmm. I think when a society, public or private, and this might be idealistic, but I think putting money into art is always, always, always the best thing you yeah, can do. Yeah. It, it's just not very tangible. Artists, they do something with it. They mm -hmm. don't sit on it. They no, actually, yeah. tend, most of them do something with it. And it has an impact. That grant you got, I bet you it wasn't even that much, but it was enough to start. And look what it led to. This yeah, like yeah. six-year project and books and exhibitions. And, and then it led to more things. And Yeah, so this is public money, but I have given back, I think, you know, uh, 
uh, with Thousands my own money from other jobs and All the hours, hours of and labor. yes. Like, so so I think something that came out of it. So the, when this book was completed, that's when we started working on uh, doing a show. And the way I made it was that I, I kept working on it in physical form. I had to raise the money to go to a designer and to get it printed. So yeah. I'll show you. you know, I so, mean, one of my favorite things... So when you look when at I this page you, here, yeah, yeah. this is the back side of that thing. On, okay. You know, so you're actually physically looking at the back and front of... It's the actual thing. The actual thing. One of the things I remember was you had this whole storyboard. Yeah. Of, I, I don't, the album, probably. Yeah. We were working on the album. But it was very much like yeah. you were printing it out, you were working it out. Yeah, I like, I like it's uh, so nice. paper. So, so then we started, uh, you know, trying to get funded, and then. So you'd bring this with you. Yeah, yeah, I and brought it like, to my meeting. And you just approach. Now, were no. you applying to official things, or were you just going to people and be like, "I want to do this project"? No, in the beginning, we, we have a, the arts council here, so that's okay. a part. But first, uh, it was the show, a show, at the Kunstmanners Hus. Well, first, I, I I applied to. There was one place I could apply for project money, so I applied for. And there I went and applied for money for making the, the dummy. Okay. So that's where I got the money for the designer. Okay. Yeah. It made sense you went there because mm-hmm. you were, she had done it there. Yeah. And when was it? And also in 69. She, so she had done it in 69. So when you approached them, I'm sure they were like, this is well, great. Well, you know, this it was great. kind of double. I think actually they, they, uh, they approached her first okay. because they saw this show. And the, the guy, Master Shans, that who and was And you the made director. it clear that there was a connection to Kununus in the past. And, uh, yeah, know, yeah. Uh, they, 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 you know, all of a sudden this information was very accessible. You know, this that no one kind of knew. amazing? You do this yeah, thing and yeah. now start things, yeah. things start happening. So, so they started talking <clears throat> to her, but then it also became clear that I had to be part of it because she was not really um, in... Sure. So as soon as yeah. I knew that I, I had this book kind of done... I had the show coming up. Then we really started hitting every just like carpet bomb the entire place to try to get. Yeah, because you have to. I mean, how did you even get those made? Like the the sculptures themselves and oh yeah, that was it was it was you know. So she worked with uh, industrial material. Those big uh, wing shaped forms, the modules are made out of a pipeline in fiberglass. It was a new material that she had found at this like uh, trade show in '68, which was like a completely new thing for, made for the oil industry. That was like not quite starting up. They hadn't found oil in Norway yet then, but they, it was the beginning of the whole petroleum uh, story here. So, and she was really interested in new materials, and she was interested in art being accessible and being outside of the institutions. And you know, she had very radical ideas about what art should be. But then uh, when we started looking again, we started looking for factories making uh, fiberglass pipelines. And we so you found had to start a... from scratch. You were like, okay, mm-hmm. we got to find this yeah. material again. Yeah. It turned out that there was still a, a factory in southern Sweden who was a daughter company of the one starting in Norway. They had sold the concept. And they were still making the same product. But it had slightly changed. It was The diameter was 14 centimeters Sh- uh, smaller than it was in 68, 69. Maybe it's standardized. Now. Yeah, yeah, because then it was one uh, one meter and 14 centimeters, and now it was one meter. It's standardized because of the computers, yeah. right? 
And it was interesting. And then we had this whole discussion, Siri and I, about this, because if it was still possible to make it. And, and then I think we sort of ended on the fact that this is part of the beauty of her piece, that when you work with industrial material, this is a material that is a product of society, of the community, things that we work with. So the change that happens to that product and the changes that makes to the piece is actually it's in a kind of conversation. So it makes sense for a sculpture to actually go with those type of changes. So that was really nice, I thought. The municipality has an, its own, owns a lot of buildings around. They lent us an old factory where they, we were allowed to ship all the tubes to and then wow. to cut, to get them cut. And so we hired in the people from the Fellesverkstede. That was the guys that we were working with. They were amazing. Yeah. You went there to visit, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's That's a great, small. yeah. So you had all these tasks and all these challenges, and mm -hmm. it was like one by one. I think it's six months, like but just raising money. Yeah, yeah. I'm going through that right now yeah. in the sense that, well, I don't want to cut you off. I'll tell no. you about it in a little while. So doing. I think I raised so much money because when <clears throat> you make the comparison to a film, it's just like there. Yeah. It was just peanuts. <laughs> well, yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> like, I think we had to raise like three hundred thousand to be able to do all this stuff. Kroners, right? Or dollars? No, three million kroners. Wow! So it is like an indie film. Yeah. That's amazing achievement. Because it was like the it was the show, both that you saw at Kinsnanes Hus. Yeah. Also, we worked with uh, Uslo, uh, Pilot Oslo, yeah. which was this pilot project for um, a biennial from the yeah. municipality. So after this show, it moved. The same modules were taken apart, and then it moved out to to the park, the Viglon Park, and then it they, we made there was three sculpture that was set up of the same modular elements yeah. in that park. It's like with art and with films, it's yeah. like one has to have all of it because some of them turn yeah. out like nah, and then some really few are really great, but you can't always know in advance. It's not a lot of money when you think of what you're comp. I mean, just that show alone that I saw, that I mean, that was like a major museum exhibition that I would see at MoMA or the Whitney. Mm. I went to the Guggenheim show, mm -hmm. and it was that's recently with Rebecca Quayman. And, mm -hmm. And Clint, who's mm. having her moment, you know. I mean, the show you put on was actually more complicated than that, than the Guggenheim exhibition I just saw. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, That's nice. You did like a museum level. You All the way. built it out of nothing, yeah. and you yeah. built the team. Yeah. That was the director at the Kinsanis Hus. He was very invested in it and really wanted yeah. this to happen too. So he also bent over backwards to, you know, whatever he could do with the budgets. But I love your Norwegian modesty. It's like <laughs> no, no, that is know. modesty. It's been a sort of investigation of how these things work, and and sometimes you know there's grievances about things, and where you don't feel like you get enough credit, and then and then trying to understand like when is something even if you know my name is not attached to it, like which is. Uh, you know, after that show, that's what started to happen. Like, all the curators yeah. that touched it afterwards didn't want me involved anymore. As we were moving on from that show, because I had to be involved in all the pieces, but then all of a sudden, all, I will become then an unpaid assistant. If the curators aren't interested in recognizing my role as an artist yeah. together with another artist, the way I worked with her, then I just I become their unpaid assistant, and yeah. I'm not so interested in being an unpaid no. assistant on this type of scale of work. 
So then, of course, you know, then they will say, okay, we can pay you then. So then I'll become a paid assistant. But I'm like, wait a second here. They want to include her in the Venice Biennale. I would say, okay, I can be a paid assistant on that because it's also in my interest in the long term that she gets to to Venice. And you want to be a part of that. Well, I'm not a part of it because my name is not on it. My name will never be on that. That's frustrating. Because I'm only in there as a paid assistant type thing. Because they need me. Because without me, this piece won't happen. And then she went to Malmö, the Kunsthall in Malmö, and it's the same thing there. And that's when I said, okay, now I'm done with organizing these really big shows. It's too much work. The kind of work I'm doing is more than the assistant's work. Yeah, and then the politics of it. It's like you don't want to deal with that. No. In a way, it's very much like being in a producer role. Almost nobody knows who the producer is yeah. and the director and the actors get. Yeah. But at the same time, it's good. I'm happy that it, it has happened and it should happen. And I, was, I wanted to facilitate it to happen because it's good for the whole project. But it means that I'm not going to use, this is not what my time in the future is going to go to. Somebody else can take that job then. When we did The Last Vector mm-hmm. and we did the launch at the Whitney Museum, mm-hmm. you know, I had a guest editor and she's the one who really organized that. So I kind of took a back seat, put her in the front. I was like, Ellie, you put this together. You are up there speaking about you know what I mean? I actually... So you say you're I modest really, too. You're a modest American. Well, They're just modest in the first place. <laughs> yeah. But nah. I felt very proud, actually, mm-hmm. about being able to create a platform that would allow someone like Ellie, who I really respect, to mm. have this honor. Yeah. And I felt like she's the one who deserved it. So I stayed back. But it did also feel a little weird. Like, there were a lot of meetings at the Whitney where they just ignored me. But I was like, this is... Ellie. Like, yeah. I had to remind myself. It's the difficult part is to like, try to understand how it works on longer terms. And this is the yeah. hard part because you have no training in it. The positions and, and the overview is difficult because you come in somehow. As an artist, it's strange. You come in and you, you're given the lowest position. And you've never you've been exposed to it before. And how do you actually handle the different situation? It's like learning on the spot. There was... Moments where I found it very problematic, where I saw that I was like, okay, this is history repeating itself. Somehow all the work that I've been doing is becoming invisible. I've been trying to make a woman who was made invisible. I have trying to make her visible again. And then to be able to do that, I have to become invisible. Like, how does this fit together? Like, the but, problem still exists, in mm-hmm. a way. Maybe I have to take a much more longer view sort of approach to it. Welcome to Vector. This is why this is important for me to, or why I see this coming out in my work now. It's a lot about what it means to be a woman. Weird and sticky and like, why should it be any different than being a man? And all of a sudden you're a 50-year-old woman and you go like, well, you know, all of a sudden being a young artist in the late 80s, I didn't want to make work that involved my body. I wanted to get away from the whole... 70s feminist approach which always looked at the female body i found that it was so sexualized and it was you know it's like ah, oh, yeah it's always the pretty girls that take their shirt off and show their tits right and i was very critical of it at that time and i was like this doesn't uh, it it sort of perpetuate a sort of woman as a sexual object as opposed to talking about 
women's point of view in terms of like who is my sex object who is like who am I as a gaze where is my gaze so this is the kind of thought I had as a young woman and it's interesting for me now to come back and be middle-aged and be 50 and go my body is really does define who I am like having a reproductive system a female reproductive system actually does play a role in who I am in the world how people read me how I uh, use my body, how, who, uh, who I am. And it's somehow, so now it's starting to uh, come into my work. And I think Go it's an circle. interesting yeah. journey. At one point you wanted to be defined by who you are as a person outside of that. I wanted to separate yeah, it, I think. And now you're coming full circle. I wanted to be RuPaul back then when yeah. I was 18. Yeah. And now I'm like, I'm fine with like, and all of a sudden, you know, Carly Schneeman seems like, just as rue as rue to me no, <laughs> and i see i have an 18 year old and she watched rupaul all the time and that's what she, that's her entertainment and i think it's i think that's great Does she I really? think, yes wow. and and uh, you know she's down with all the different she's you know, 18 now yeah she's gonna be 19 this, this spring how old so, is she at iscp 10 and mine's 22 mm -hmm. wow she's 18 so um yeah, I was going to say, as far as what we were talking about before, so yeah, I took more of a backseat with the Whitney thing, but, mm. but when I was invited to Munich, I'd never been so honored in mm. my life. It was like the opposite. So I think even though yeah. I took a backseat, that allowed this to happen in Munich. and. That yeah. you have to trust your project, that it's good and that... Meaning, it, like we were talking about, yeah. like sometimes we don't know how this baby or something is going to grow up. And I don't have a clue. And like... Yeah, and I think that's what it sort of... It, it may not have... Maybe that would have been it. That would have been the peak. Mm. And that's it. I'm done. Mm. Like, And I was okay with that, with Vector. Yeah. Like, it doesn't have to grow. It's no. one of those projects that doesn't have to grow. But if it keeps growing, I'll... Stay on the ride, yeah. you know. Well, grow is like because business it always means like that you double your intake I know, or something. But, but I'm I, American. But they, I always think that way. I, you know <laughs> what I mean? I, it's like I have to pivot. Yeah, I'm a comic <laughs> European, so so yeah. I mean, I'm thinking. I have some of that too, though, because <laughs> yeah. my grandparents were socialists. Yeah, yeah. In New York. Yeah, now socialists, yeah. Uh, socialism hip in the Americans, but no. But I was thinking, like, I think there's uh, uh, that it's also, you know, to time. And and like that to remember that t like time sometimes is on our side. Like to actually stick with the project. If you're persistent, yeah, to be a lot persistent. Of people, remember, a lot of people give up. You win out playing like last man standing. That that's the game we're yeah. in now. And and it somehow is, there's there something... is a Darwinian element to this, you know. Yeah, but it's a, yeah, but the Darwin is better <laughs> than you know the the strongest right or whatever you know like the. It's the the strongest that was win because yeah. it's it's like it the survival it's of just the mutations. It's not the strongest. Yeah, mutation. exactly. Sometimes so, it has nothing to do with the strongest. Yeah, so know. so being young, it was all about having made it before you're 25, or people saying to you like everybody we remember now they were famous before they were 30, and just like you know like just grew. I've never really, I didn't true. even start. I didn't even go to grad school until I was in my 30s. So I never had the luxury to even believe in I that. I haven't even went to grad so, school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you didn't, we also didn't have to necessarily go yeah. at that point. Now it's a little different, I think. 
Yeah, I think this um, is something we need to discuss much more. And that that to be able to, to that you have to have a PhDs. Yeah. The next step well, is that you can't teach in the MA program if you don't have a PhD. Yeah. And in whose interest is that? We have to ask yourself. We are being educated for like a field where there is no jobs waiting for us. We're going to run up our student loans no. just to, to access an art field where very few of us will survive and there is no yeah. job. I've just let the whole thing go, though. I've just been like, this isn't a career, it's a way of life. I'm in a different system. Mm-hmm. I'm outside that system. So I don't even care about that. Yeah, right? I think But I still have to survive. That is good. And I have and to do a lot of cr- good crappy you, jobs. But what well. about the future? What about <laughs> students? Who are the people who are allowed to be artists and who are you yeah, st- the know. students who come out with like the type of student loans that they are leaving art school with I mean, for I, what, I have for all what that. job? I mean, this is the only system I grew yeah. up in. I live in a system that is pretty, yeah. there's no safety net. Yeah. So I, this I is all I've known. I, I'm running on a really fast road that's burning behind me. Yeah, that's yeah, how yeah. I always feel. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of like it yeah. that way. Well, there are aspects of it that... But I'm also blown away when I hear about there is a pay system for artists here in Norway, mm. right? If you have a certain level of achievement and the right credentials, you can get paid to be an artist here, right? With these grants that you yes. have. Like, it's a different <clears throat> system. But I think, you know, what happened here was that um, around the 1920s, the artists inspired by, uh, you know, they were traveling to the Soviet Union and then they unionized and then they demand wow. the right to... Yeah. Uh, to, oh, what's the word for that in English, to um, make deals with, with the government. So yeah. as a labor union, they... I don't see that happening in the United no. States. Although so we've had, had, we have had that in history. Yeah, exactly. There like, was, this is the... But this like is Rothko, the problem. Yeah. Rothko, that whole time period, there was, yeah. there was a thing in New York City yeah. where artists got paid. So you have to do your local thing first. In America, you split and conquer. That's the it's, method. That's what I'm so saying. You, it's, it's you a, tell every artist yeah. that you are amazing and we like you in this, you know, this, and you, we're going to give you a lot of money, but don't talk genius. to the old yeah. other artists. No, it's because it's going to, yeah, but it's, it's also the way of like dismantling anything that benefit it. everybody. I was talking to, my friend Greg is with me from mm-hmm. Brooklyn. We were mm-hmm. talking about this last night with people here. We were out to dinner. Mm-hmm. They were, we were talking to a friend of ours in the tech industry and he was kind of admiring the American system mm-hmm. because when you have this kind of no safety net, competitive, if you can make it happen, you can get all the gold. Like, yeah. if you can, yeah, you and can then 90%, it's like, sorry, Charlie, you know. Yeah. But that does lead to immense innovation, right? Like, yeah. And like, it's a very different energy, way of thinking. Immense it. energy. So there is a certain yeah. freedom to that, but, but freedom for But all who? these people are. I mean, for yeah. everybody who does achieve something, you're looking at a lot of people falling through cracks. Like even yeah. here in New York City, yeah, artists fall through the cracks. Yeah, They've, yeah, yeah, they, all the time, oh, of course. Most, yeah, it isn't for sure. You cannot be sure that it actually is the best artist. Who it has made nothing it to, to do with that. So many factors. Yeah. So this is what Luck, I'm saying. This navigating is a completely system. different way of. But it is a big filtration system where, yes. if you can make it through that filter, yeah, you tend to be successful. Because it's like you have no choice. You either have to make it or you have mm-hmm. to give up. Like yeah. these are the choices. Su- yeah, successful. What does that mean then? So it's Just two. So, yeah. It's two very different ways of thinking yeah. about how to. This is the difference of being a socialist, and then you know 
uh, being a capitalist. There's a different ways of thinking about how you build society. So is it worth yeah. millions of people through the cracks so, so you will have this one golden cow? Or, or do we so, think about it differently? Yeah. So, you know, and this yeah. is, I mean, and so it's super different to be an artist here than in yeah. New York or in America. Because, and you've done both, yeah, which is, we, you're in a very unique position. Yeah, you've so actually experienced both. And I've somewhat experienced both, but not yeah. on the level. You've lived in both places as an artist. Yeah, and, and then lots of pe- lots of artists in in New York comes from other places. Right. So what you see in New York a lot of times is too that you come people from other places. They come in in the in their youth, in the time when they're the strongest, and they you know and they stay there as long as they can, and then they go back. Right. And I've known artists who've come to New York who are immensely successful in mm-hmm. their country. Mm-hmm. And they can't make anything happen. It's sort of amazing. Mm-hmm. And then vice versa. Yeah. But I wanted to say, like, uh, what you were talking about before. Well, when we were talking to this person last night, we were like, watch out what you wish for. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, there's a certain energy and freedom and Because this person really innovation. got this in the in their mid-30s. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but we were, like, kind of telling him, like, there's a massive price for this. So. Yeah. But I can understand. It was interesting to see some of the frustrations here, even though there's a lot of support. There is a certain. It is a tightness thing that they here too, because there's missing. very few galleries, very few collectors. There's a very, there's almost no market, so it's very difficult to make it as like a an artist in a commercial gallery. It's very very difficult. And he was talking from the tech world, but I guess mm-hmm. there's some similarities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in, there's similarities in that sense. Yeah. So, uh, and I think you see it. With some, you know, so there's a point where people are quite young and they feel like they see themselves as they will be winner of that system, so therefore they wish for it. And this, you know, so it's a more competitive, more cutthroat because you, you're still young and you're still not met your own mortality in a way. Like, yeah. you know, how yeah. little it actually takes before actually you do need a, a healthcare system. One thing I realize I tell this to students when I talk to them is okay aside from being successful or funding or this or that or anything one thing I realize is like nothing can stop me from doing the projects I want to do mm-hmm. like I've always found a way mm. to do the projects I want to do and when it comes down to it that's what it's all about so yeah. I never really feel like I've let go I when I was younger I used to feel really ambitious about a certain level of fame and mm-hmm. this and fortune and all this stuff, right? Because it's drilled in you as a young American. But when I see it in the context of like, can I do my projects? Mm-hmm. The answer is always yes. Somehow. I always find a way. I'm not right sure how. It's a, it's like what the process you just described, the six-year project. Mm-hmm. You found a way somehow yeah, using yeah. every single... Well, that is the fun thing about being, you know, older person is that you all of a sudden you know the system so much better and it becomes also like an investigation of like how to like pull your strings, you know, like you have all of a sudden you know people and you you understand how it works and you're... It's rare, I think, that I won't be able to do the projects I want to do. Mm. Maybe I won't be able to do it on the scale I want. And that's what one thing I tell students is like, if you focus on the projects and getting the projects mm. done, you're going to be pretty fulfilled. 
But also yeah. it, it comes back to that thing that I mentioned about having definition of power. It's the, it's the sort of, you make a system of, uh, you know, it, is there no gallery that want to show you? Make a makeshift gallery somewhere as an artist, uh, or you do those kind of things. You know, if you go through and you you make it the way that you think it should be done, and it, you, you know, even if it's just open for one weekend and yeah. you do another thing, keep on doing something for for a while. It actually becomes something. Like, it and does. no one can take that away from you. And yeah. it was like making the fancy. The first time we yeah. made it, like, it's ten pieces from the copy machine with yeah. staples in it, and people go, "Ha, huh, funny, whatever." And all of a sudden, when, but. When you, you know, continue, but when you're 10 issues but, in and it's been 10 years, people start to notice. They're like, whoa, you guys have been doing this for a long time. This, like yeah. All of a sudden, it is something. It has You made something out of almost nothing. And that's why I think persistence is so important because you are going to face those times where mm-hmm. nothing happens yeah. for three years yeah. and you don't have any money. Yeah. Uh, or maybe you do, but... Yeah, I've been studying that. What does attention? artists do in those years? I think it's super interesting. I mean, I... I fall apart. I've had, I mean, even like just two years ago, mm. I had a really hard year where everything mm. fell apart yeah. all at once. Mm. It, you know, like my father died, my mm. relationship ended, my gallery closed. Like, yeah. <laughs> uh, and and this happens to me almost like every five years. Yeah, yeah, and then it's totally existential. And it's Who hard. am I now? And I, yeah, yeah, and I'm just like a mess during these yeah. times. Yeah. But I'm so stubborn. I yeah. will never, ever, yeah. ever, ever give up on anything. I'll just keep pushing forward. Like, maybe that's like my one skill. <laughs> I'm just, stubbornness, I'm like, I think, is a really the, it's yeah. a good trait to have. Well, I honestly don't know what else I would do. Like, I don't yeah. think I have a choice. <laughs> I need to do this. I don't know what that would be either. <laughs> so that's, yeah, so I always tell students, persistence, remember that you can, to focus on the projects, not necessarily the achievement because a lot of times the achievement is pretty unfulfilling anyway. Mm. Like I know artists who are so successful and they still seem just as dissatisfied. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) They're just scaled up. But there's this like uh, where you have to keep on climb higher yeah it's like if there's a certain type of progression so if you it doesn't happen then you're being told that then that then that is like then you're over and you're done and i think the best thing that can happen to any artist is that they are over because then they can start making their real work yeah then they can let go yeah and then they could do like you know then it's not as you said it's not a career it's a lifestyle you are listening to vector so that so you just came off of that Mm. massive undertaking and now you're focusing on your work and actually it's really exciting what you're doing and you have the and you already have the places lined up to show it which is such a good feeling because it's like you don't know if it will be well received but at least you're you're yeah but you know i'm so old now that's the thing about being old because yeah. then also being in competition with three other people, and there's, a, there's like a big prize for the person who wins. And all of a sudden, if I had been 30, it, it, that would be so debilitating. Instead, it sort of turned around where I'm not even really thinking about it. They all they all great artists, all the other ones. Yeah. And uh, it feels more like it gives me a space to try to move my project a step further. Yeah. And that is like the main focus. And that feels really good. Just from knowing you for years, you're doing this and your parent. Yeah, but that one was done with that. <laughs> I know now. She's yeah, leaving. I know, I feel that way too, but still, 
them. You I faced think... some serious challenges that a lot of people around you maybe didn't have to. And but that I think um, has a lot to do. But I think it's this stronger. the social democracy thing that yeah. made. I could not have had. Uh, if I lived in New York, I would not have the resources to yeah. have a kid. And you did. Uh, you were in New York. Yeah. And maybe that's one of the reasons why you came back, right? Yeah, I was eight months pregnant when yeah. I left New York. You knew, like, okay, if I stay here, it's going to be really hard. Well, you know, yeah. when I lived in New York, I was not covered by the health insurance of Norway. Yeah. I could still be part of the grant system of the artists, because that's the artists so to you decide. you still apply. But it was difficult, because I wasn't educated here. People didn't know my work. So it took years to get into the system. Yeah, because really, you were there, right? Yeah, okay. so I wasn't really part of the system here. So that didn't happen before I shifted over here so it's not like living in new york i was just this satellite of the system here so when you came back you kind of had to start from scratch mm-hmm. is it different now like if you're doing things in new york are yeah. people like oh we have something now in, new york, in norway right? we have something now called the internet the worldwide web. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> it means that you can be all the places and be very connected in it so this is wonderful that young people have a whole different way of you know they, they network in a very different way and well i've been noticing a lot more norwegian artists in new york yeah because you know things. now they can take their grant money and go or you know they can work in and they can and still stay within the system yeah and, and also they're much better you know they're brought up with a different type of networking than i was brought up with and they, their have... english are so much better when I came to New York as uh, as a young person, I think my whole understanding of the art world was very, you know, I came from a very small system. Yeah. For me, it was all new and there was a lot to learn really quickly. So I think these kids are much, they're much hipper, they're much, yeah. you know, but savvier. But there's something about being thrown into a total unknown that, that gives cool. you a tremendous amount of strength. I loved it. Plus, you were there such, during such a good time, even though New York was a mess. Yeah, you was... got to see things that just don't exist anymore in New York. Sure, maybe it's always like that. Yeah. So the know. New York we see now, it will not exist in ten years' time yeah. either. Yeah, maybe it is. So, although I think there were some special things back then that people today, young people, yeah. are actually. Well, it was certainly form. It formed our generation. Uh, I really like our generation. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think the Even one of the things that was so messed up. <laughs> yeah, the thing what I found really interesting when I came to New York was to understand that there was something in New York of old Europe that didn't exist in Europe anymore. Yeah, and that was oh, a, that's interesting. That was really strange to see. Like what? Can you give me an example? Like, yeah, like the whole Yiddish culture. Oh, yeah, it's gone here. Well, it was gone because yeah. the Second World War, yeah. it was called Hitler. Try to imagine what, I mean, Germany up to the Second World War had a really big Jewish community. You know, it was a part of a culture. And and with the, that really other type of reflecting and, 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 and obsessively discursive, uh, Jewish culture, I think, well, think it must about, have been so different. Think about before the war, like yeah. in the yeah. in the twenties and thirties. Yeah, and the in Weimar Germany. Republic. Yeah, the whole of vaudeville course. scene moved to yeah. New York. If you think of all the things that came out of that time period, yeah. which moved to New York, which yeah. probably helped us. Yeah, because we, of course it did. We just like took in. It that was, was the like, wonderful the thing that happened in in mm-hmm. New York, and this is I think also why the whole art world 
you know, you have that sort of classic history about how, like, the abstract expressionism, you know, took the energy from Paris and yeah. moved it to New York. But I do think, actually, it was the two world wars that moved yeah. all these creative people yeah. to New York that everybody made came. that happen everybody there. So, and same in science, too. Yeah. So, so I think that is, it's sort of, still in the 80s, there were traces. It was just the very last of it, but there was traces of it, and you felt it sometimes, and Having being from here and having traveled in Europe as a child, you know, because when I grew up, we were not part of Europe. This was Scandinavia, yeah. not Europe. And then, so but we traveled in Europe, and then, so I recognized it. You recognized it as something. It's wild. After a year really in New Jersey, I knew it wasn't America. Cause New Jer- Northern New Jersey was America, and that was very different from Manhattan. Yeah. Very very different from New York. Yeah. The whole culture was so different. Uh-huh. Like the way people spoke, the way they dressed, the way, you know, yeah. the way they interacted was yeah, different. Yeah, Manhattan's like almost like another, or just New York City mm. in general is almost like a, a, another country yeah. in a way. But now it's like, so. it's strange to sit on this side of it and, and remember things and remember being dropped off at Cooper Union for a portfolio day by, by my teacher from, from Ramapo. And, uh, you know, and then he, we made the plan. He, he told me how to come and meet him at uh, Fernelli's in Soho afterwards because okay. he had friends there. Uh, so, and then, so, so this how is... How old are you at the time? 18. That's so this amazing. is in 1988. Like the You've fall. Got it was just, <laughs> hmm? You have guts. And that's... No, that was fun. You're, you're alone and you're 18 and you're yeah, so, there and it's crazy. So we, I went to Portfolio Day. <laughs> it went really well. You know, the guy gave me an early application. What did you form. show? I showed, I, I think I, sh- I had lots of, I have been uh, interrailing. Uh, I worked in the summer and then, but one one month and then gone for interrail and I had sketchbooks. I've been sketching people in, as I was traveling in Europe. Okay. So I had drawings, lots of drawings and some photos, I guess, of so sculptures and stuff. And I showed that and I got an early application form to apply to Cooper then. So, so the day had gone really well. Uh, and uh, and then you know I went to took the subway down to you know Spring Street and then walked over different and it, it was completely it was then it was probably six thirty in the evening and it was completely dark in Soho then yeah. because there was nothing and there. And so so was kind of creepy and scary. Like it I remember creepy, it was I remember and scary. feeling like nervous there was nothing. in the 80s. It was nothing. So I, <clears> there was just finales and then you went there and 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 you know I met over it's there. Still we, there I think, yeah. Right? So yeah, that's still there. It's one of the few things, but it was it was fun and like going there and like it's changed so much and there's so much people, but there was no one in the street. When you got off at Prince Street, there was no one else there, you know. And uh, so it's nice now to have this reference to the changes of of that. And there it keeps changing. Yeah. Now I'm going to eat. Now I'm in the Bronx. Yeah. I live in the yeah, Bronx. I want to come and visit you next. Time. I'm yeah. going to bring him too. Yeah. Uh, next time. You'll have a place to stay. So. Yeah, but I always stay with her. That thank you for being so generous. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. I just stay with her since she's but my girlfriend. But yeah. but I'd love to come up with her to to visit Please, for her yeah. to see too because now yeah. she's getting into she's Where finally she? she's in Bushwick. Yeah. But, I love Bushwick. Too. Yeah, I but Bush, she's the building sold I think uh, three expensive. four years ago and the new landlords are always pushing to try to throw them out yeah. and at I've some point she needs to get out room. and artists need to buy. Yeah. But that's easier said than done. Yeah. The thing is, if artists buy, then they stay, 
Like, there's still artists in Tribeca, mm-hmm. and they bought, yeah. and they're still there. There's still artists in Soho, yeah. and some really, some, my old teacher still lives there. <clears throat> but, uh, and I think it helps the neighborhood to have the artists stay. But this is why one has to do something communal. And it's sort of sad when you see a building filled with artists, yeah. and they're all paying rent to yeah. a landlord. If you take all that money together, they could have bought the building themselves. Yeah, but they couldn't but have gotten the mortgage. Yeah. It, it's you so to hard organize to organize. It. In it fact, I know a group trying to organize now, and they've been working. And these are artists who have money, and yeah. they still... Yeah, yeah. It's been like seven years they're trying to do this in yeah. the Bronx. Yeah. It's been seven years, and they still... They're at the stage where they did buy land, yeah. and they're ready to build, and they yeah. have the architectural... And it's just taken seven years. And these are artists with money. Yeah. So it's just so hard to organize. (laughs) It is hard Um, to organize things. Even grad school in America. Like in SVA, there were 30 of us. And if we had organized, I mean, this would have never happened. But I did the math once. We did this thought experiment. We took, if we took the tuition of all the artists, what they paid for grad school, we could have bought a building, set up studios, had enough money to bring the artists, like the biggest artists in the world, in to do studio visits and lectures. We wouldn't even need grad school. You mm-hmm. understand? Mm-hmm. And it would have been a fraction of the cost. It would have been like yeah. half the amount of cost yeah. of that collective. Yeah. So one can't do anything with all geezers, but this is why it's so important to speak to young people. <laughs> you know, this yeah. is why we have to speak with the, the artists who are younger than us. This is why we have to try to give the things that we... It's just so hard-earned yeah, knowledge. We have to give it to the to them and then we had to sort of cultivate a younger generation and, and help them make uh, progress. One of the things that has been really uh, sort of great about, you know, the, and I think we mentioned this last time because, okay, we have the Art Council uh, and, the, and the, the union's rights to, to make deals for the government, but then one of the deals that was made was that, you know, all the... the the, the secondary sale, like percentage of secondary sales, instead of going back to the actually author, it's going into a fund that gives grants to young artists, which makes it possible to have a pretty vital young art scene. We talked about... I've just been straying a lot, so I don't know. It's but I like straying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why I like the long interview. Yeah. We didn't really talk much about album. Album, we didn't, yeah. Maybe you could just say a little bit, like, because this is one of your, this is your massive long-term project, which you've done for how many years now? Album? We started in 2007, I think. Okay, so... so it's not that long. So, but it's it's more like, Are I guess... Are you still doing like, it? We're still doing it, but there's been a while since the last issue came up. We, given, we have published only two since the book came out. And it out. comes out when it comes out. It came, comes out when it which comes out. Which is similar vector, like whenever yeah. you can get it together. Yeah, it's like, it's because it, it started out as, I mean, we didn't, it wasn't very ambitious when we started. It was more like something fun to do like together, playful, something for our friends. Can you tell me friends. about it, the beginning yeah, and how it came about? It, yeah, it's, so it's, it's sort of, it's consistent of just like uh, found. Both Elise and I had big collections of uh, images cut out but of books. But how did you even get connected? Elise and I met in first grade in 1976, no yeah. So you're like childhood friends? Yes, we're childhood friends. Okay. So, you know, she and I, we have a really long conversation around looking at art and looking at images. In 2007, or is this like ongoing? You've always had this. Oh, you're ongoing because we were like best friends okay. as kids, and we'd draw together and do things. And then both of us, pretty early, I think, realized that we would go in the direction something to do with art. 
Okay. And uh, and but then you know I ended up going to New York and she stayed in Oslo. So I had my art education in New York and she had hers here in Oslo. And so but because we were working with the same things, we also it was very natural to keep that contact because it sort of develops beside each other. And then she became my sort of doorway into the the arts community when here. When you came back here. Because she then, and also before in the sense that when when I went back here, like as long as I went to school in New York, I I couldn't stay in New York in the summer because I didn't have a work permit in New yeah. York and I needed to, I didn't get any money from home so I needed to make as much money. I had a student loan but that's what I lived on in New York, so I needed to make as much money as I could in the summer. So you'd come home in the summer? Yeah, I used wow. to work as a baker. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. cool. <laughs> yeah. So it was my job from when I was a, a, yeah. in high school. So I made okay money with that. But anyway, so then her friends, from first from the Arts and Crafts School and later from the Art Academy, was also then my uh, colleagues and the people I would meet and hang out with in Oslo and my generation of artists in Oslo. So that's through her. No, so I think it was in 2007 we just decided to start That's when I started Vector. Project. Yeah. The same. same time. Okay, go on. So this is great. I guess oh. until then we had enough with our own project. There was no time to think about anything else. And, and, and I uh, had a kid in 2000. She had a kid in 2002, I think. In the beginning we were having a lot to do with like trying to make... Yeah. To 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 figure out how it work. So we decided to, because we had a, we had a couple of days. There was something we didn't have to do. We had a little break somehow, like okay. some extra. So we started to 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 look at our images. She had been collecting images because she was making a lot of photo montages and collages, and I think I was collecting images more as sort of reference material in terms of photography. So that was fun to yeah. come together then, then to start playing with them. The great thing about it, it's built quite simple in the way that we are just pairing images and trying to forcing new narratives through. And this was that first issue. The first issue is the first issue in the book. Yeah. Actually, we did do two projects before then. Okay. So it actually started. The first time it was because a friend of ours was turning 40 and we needed to have a present for him. He's an artist. Okay. We were like, ah, we'll make something. So we have beer uh-huh. and we have all our. Uh, images. I love that this is how it started. And we glue. We had glue. We had glue and a book of images from the. It was a beautiful like NASA book from images from the universe, and then we had all these like gay porn magazines, and then we had the different things, and then we just like made really obnoxious collages through this whole thing. And it was for your friends, so you were probably like having fun with it, just yeah. going over the top. It was a lot that. of. Yeah. Objects entering black holes, okay. <laughs> which seemed to be the running theme through through art uh, through through, through album. I think we have it on one of the, yeah. and that is the universe issue, I guess. So you on did universe, eventually kind of go back to it. The order of things, or how to get something big into a very small hole. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that stayed with us as, as a, one of our sort of major things your, that we work with. I love this humor <laughs> that's here. It's just so, so like. It was right very, for the jugular. Kind yeah, of it is. It is. That is kind of the whole thing. It was having fun. That's Scandinavian to me too, isn't it? Kind of like this well, of self-deprecating know. humor. <laughs> yeah, if you do, yeah, it has to be. So it it came out of this extra fat 
this project. And it sounded like it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was lots yeah. of fun. So it's something we return to whenever, when you're pent up with on, on your own projects, when you're doing money job, and also like an exhibition also becomes something that you have to deliver and. And, you know, and or people say, oh, I don't want these work that you're working on right now. I want something you did five years ago. And it feels like it's a straitjacket, right? Yeah. You work yourself into this corner. Yeah. It was really important to open some doors. That was all the fun stuff about making things, you know, yeah. that didn't, nobody's expect, it wasn't expensive. No, yeah. it, it didn't need to meet any You didn't standards. have to get any external no, yes or no. approval. You we were drunk. It. Yeah. it was fun. You we were hanging it. out. It was yeah. laughing. It was, And then we did another one to another friend like a year afterwards. And she turned 40 and we did one to her. And and then, you know, out of that came... Uh, you were like, there's something worthy here. Let's kind of... Yeah. Make and it, I think also it, it had to do... James Hoff was here from Primary Information and did a uh -huh. talk for, on the art school and, and we came along to that and we were talking. Uh, he was still a print of matter at the time. So he was talking about artist publications. And uh -huh. I think we were sitting there, Elise and I, we were just looking like at each other and we were just like, ah, Light bulbs. what we are doing. We were just <laughs> like, oh, we're drunk and doing this for our friends. This is actually, you know, like if you keep on, we can actually elevated to this other level where mm -hmm. we actually publish them and all we need to do is to photocopy them and and I had the studio above uh, like an architecture firm yeah. and we always joke that you know so people are like, oh, so what do you need to make it it's like oh yeah to sleep with somebody who has a copy machine Perfect. so you get to, 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 to so we could use it at night so they yeah. let you use it at cost at night yeah. so the architecture firm let us use it at I picture you both breaking into some office building Albatron sleeping around that's a really good method of yeah. like getting your shit done yeah. so it's always like <laughs> being yeah, very loose I can't do that you do that maybe everybody can do that maybe you just have to be very willing maybe to I be a bottom am. That's maybe I already takes. am Jesus <laughs> but you actually really published it like I haven't really even published Vector yet I don't even have an ISBN for it Never put it in the store. Oh, that we didn't do that. That came when the tenth issue was out. Did Someone have... wanted to publish it. Okay. They came I'm at to nine us. right now, so I got. So we never do ISPN on the yeah. on the I on the fan scenes. People are always like, "Why isn't this in stores?" And I'm like, "I I can't get there yet. I'm just yeah. still trying to just." The ISPN is easy to get. That's the easy, easy part. But, but just but distributing it is like a big hard thing. I'm getting close to it yeah, for the yeah. first time, just because printed matter you know, yeah. wanted. To put it in their store for the first time mm -hmm. ever. They approached us. Yeah, that's cool. That's great. And I put like five issues in there. Mm -hmm. But I'm still not quite sure if I want to go there. I'm still... Printed maybe... matter you want to go. No, I'm at... yeah, it's in there barely. I mean, but I'm not sure if I want to... I haven't decided yet. I have to make a decision. I'm almost at uh, issue 10. So I have to make a decision. No, you don't have to make a decision. <laughs> you, you, See, I... this is where I need your wisdom. Yeah, you don't make that decision. You don't need to grow in that way. Because you just continue the way you do. Because you don't want to be the one who distributes. You wait for somebody else to come to you. Yeah. And they distribute. You need to work with printed matter and yeah. whatever other places like that who yeah. carries artist publications. One it's its own can. system. And somehow it might take 20 years for someone to find it. Yeah. But then, you know, then you've yeah, been doing it. When I went it. and looked at it, it was sitting 
in the shelf, like getting all dirty. Yeah, but next time you ask to, yeah. to, to launch it there, for example, you work with yeah. them in different ways. Or you make a show there with artists that you worked with. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, that's why Print and Matter was really great. It worked with us. And so when we started the second or third issue, we started working with Printed Matter. And before that, we launched them here. People came. There was like 50 people came. Seven people bought. And then we sat there. And people were like, oh, fun. I mean, we we sell them, but we we don't make money. No. I don't care. You call it a lose-lose project. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, I love this. Can I use that? (laughs) Yeah, sure. Vector is a lose-lose project. We pay for it. Yeah, and that's how I've done it. I've hustled to pay for each issue. My credit cards, grants, sponsorship. And therefore also, like, um, we haven't been going to all the art fairs and stuff that print and matter. We would love to do more. I wish I would do all that, too, but the amount of money that would I don't have the money to do it. And the time, too. Because I can't pay that much money for a secondary project. You know, like, I already have my art career, and I'm doing, you know, all these other things. And there's, like, just a limit to how much lose-lose project I can do. There has to be a little bit of win-win once in a while for me to make it around. But I have to remember that. (laughs) It doesn't have to always be lose-lose. Remember when we were there at the same time? Yeah. Isn't that kind of amazing? Mm -hmm. That we were both in that Norwegian room at the same time? Yeah. And that was with this. Yeah. Like, the 10-year... Yeah, because then you had probably just seen my like sketches uh, well, before I've seen in, the in other 2010. Issues. Yeah, the yeah. Other but I was like, wow. But we were impressed ourselves when this book comes because yeah. I mean we have had all the, the you know when it comes out of the copy machine, it's funny and stuff. But it, it has none of that impressive sort of uh, offset thick book. Yeah. It all looks sort of handmade and so. But they both work. <laughs> yeah, they both work. I think yes, exactly. And they just speak. I think they just speak to slightly different. Different. Yeah. So I mean, I do have. There are people who come to me who want to collect, but they don't want a book. They want the scenes, like you know, real collectors, yeah. and they want every single one. You know, what I've seen too with album is that to have a project that you're working on that operates differently than your personal, and you stand as its protector in a different exactly. way. It's not you. Yeah. It's it. It's already an exercise in how that works in a yeah. really great way. And I found that with album too. It's, a, it's sort of, people can like it and they cannot like it. It doesn't matter for me. Right. And it's cool when they... are not li- going to kill it. Yeah, no. No, it will keep happening and they can think it's stupid and they can think it's unimportant. It doesn't matter. And they can love it. And that's lovely. But it doesn't have that sort of impact on me that I don't get as devastated no, when people yeah. turn it down as I get with my own project yeah. it feels much more to have your your heart in your hand in a, in a way and that has been very educational to see myself in that situation yeah because you can apply it to your own work yeah and it makes attitude. me distance myself much more from my work and, and separate yeah. me the person who have to represent my work and me actually producing it because yeah. those th- those two doesn't mix well. Definitely not. <laughs> so you did you would do these issues. You did ten of them, and you'd print a certain amount, and you'd yeah, do, we print I think two hundred issues. And then you do a launch. We did we did uh, we, for we, each we do issue. we do a launch, and very early on we realized that a launch didn't draw a lot of people, so we needed to do something more spectacular. Okay. There was this place called Zero Zero Forty Seven, which was an architecture company, but they also had a, a it's gallery. A great name, yeah, that's the area code for Norway. You know, America's plus one. We yeah, are plus 47. I, yeah. I, always, I always laugh at that, actually. Whenever I see it, I'm like... It says something about how I you know. place yourself in the hierarchy, yeah. right? And somehow everybody accepts it. I don't know. 
No, so we'd started doing like, so we got, we usually we were able to do something for a weekend between shows or something like, so we did the first time we did, you know, party and then you do a concert and then we started doing like little small shows that we, you know. So in that sense that the feminine show came out of that idea. So we started out with a very small idea about doing something for the launch of that because we would we had saved the issue on on uh, no it wasn't the representation of femininity it was the lady artist was the was the issue that we were going to launch for the centennial for the 100th anniversary of the women's vote in Norway so that was like found images of women painting or doing things but then which it is grew ridiculous into the whole thing we talked about before yeah we still made that issue but we yeah. grew on into that yeah. whole show and so then this came about. Yeah, we were approached by fairly simultaneously by two different publishing sort of art. And they just book. knew about it for over the years, mm-hmm. kind of seeing it here, like in the yeah. peripheral. Like, From print, through printed matter. Yeah. And the other one is, was here in Norway. Yeah. And here is smaller, so he, he knew about it through the art scene here. And then they ended up co-publishing it. That's great. As a way of like being able to do all the 10 issues. It's so fulfilling in a way. It's like, there it is. I love that you grew something out of nothing and it started with a birthday present. I think we got enough. What do you yeah, think? Yeah, yeah. Three hours? Yes. Wasn't that, but isn't it amazing? <laughs> like we could have talked for another. Uh, we can, yeah, come on. Yeah. I think we're going to do a part two. <laughs> I love that we can just continuously talk and never get bored. Yeah, but it's All right, some the, interest. I feel like we. I feel like we got a lot though, but yeah. I feel like there's more. We're gonna do part two when I come back. But I'm excited. Look, we got almost three hours. <laughs> Poor you. you had to, and how so this? How long are the segment you did in the end? I want it to be three hours. <laughs> I, I, you I hope we will put as to long take something as possible. Out. Well, I'll take out. <laughs> Just, you know, when I'm coughing, or if I said something really stupid, <laughs> yeah. you know. So let me just make sure I don't kill this. I can do it. So that concludes episode one of the Vector Interview podcast. I hope you enjoyed listening. It was such a great experience spending time with Alina in her studio. There's something profound about having such an in-depth conversation with another artist. I want to thank Alina Mugas for taking the time to participate in this project. If you want to check out her work more in depth, go to Gallery Reese website. She is listed in the artist section. And if you want to get a copy of the fanzine album, you can find it at Printed Matter in New York. The music was provided by Liz Kosak. You can find her band and check out her projects at Zardcom. Dot com. That's Z-A-R-D-K-O-M dot com. Special thanks to our producer and editor, Todd Tracy. I'm Peter Gregorio. You can find me on Instagram, and you can see my work at petergregorio.com. My partner and vector, Javier Barrios, can be found at javierbarrios.com. For more information about Vector, go to vector.bz. You can also find Vector on Instagram at three underscores vector three underscores if you want to support vector go to our patreon and search for vector productions 
where you can get access to all the digital editions of Vector Artist Journal, help support the podcast and all of our future projects. Vector Interview Podcast is brought to you by Vector Productions, Inc. Thank you for listening to Vector. Bye. Thank you.